Blog Talk Radio. Moisture! And welcome to the Elevated Places Network presents A Time for Justice. My name is Sister Attorney Pamela Muhammad, and I would like to welcome you to our show tonight as we discuss wills and probate and what black families should know about wills and probate and areas, this area of the law known as estate planning. This show discusses legal and current events in a roundtable discussion of legal minds. We discuss this country's centuries-long failure to apply, uphold, and enforce the laws and the overall failure of the legal system to give justice and the negative impact these failures have had on black people and their black families. Ultimately, we want fair dealing. We want justice under the law, but all too often this is not the actions that we see. Our guests tonight will not make those excuses for racist conduct often seen, which are really just distractions from the truth, which is the path to justice and equal protection. Let's talk about just, fair, and equitable solutions, which are in the best interest of the people. Let's remove the distractions. So again, tonight's show, we're going to talk about wills and probate and state planning. We have two really um, wonderful attorneys who have taken out their time to come and speak with us tonight. And so we're going to show up by first talking about the birthday of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. As we know, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad's birthday was October the 7th, and we just have to really uh, bring to light and in remembrance of the true impact of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad 
So many wonderful articles uh, were written about the Honorable Elijah Muhammad in this week's final call. One article by Michael Z. Muhammad, An Invincible Truth. And he talks about the impact of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad on America and the world. And I think this is very fitting for our show tonight because as we give this legal knowledge that will help people preserve their legacies and their passing their money on to children, passing wealth on to children, real estate issues, we first want to also remember how the Honorable Elijah Muhammad taught. And as this article talks about how um, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad taught that through accepting Islam and relying on Allah, God, and unity, complete separation from whites, community building, and knowledge of self, a blueprint could be had for the ultimate freedom justice, and equality of black people. And I also want to bring up another part in this article, which goes on to say, uh, as quoting one scholar, I think the Honorable Elijah Muhammad gave us a blueprint for really helping to solve problems. He was a problem solver. He talked about the importance of science and mathematics things of this nature, nation builder skills. I mean, we really need to embrace that, that philosophy of self-determination and become problem solvers to particular issues that affect us most. And finally, because this is a legal show, I wanted to bring out another issue in this article which talks about the litigation that occurred between 1961 and 1978 and this is talking about how the nation challenged prisons from within and without through acts of resistance. And some of those lawsuits, uh, ruled, the federal courts ruled on no fewer than 60, 66 uh, suits filed by Muslim prisoners. And in a case called Thomas, uh, that was filed by a man named Thomas Cooper in Illinois, there was a Supreme Court ruling that really changed the landscape. Because in that case, it overturned an 1871 court case which classified incarcerated individuals as slaves of the states without rights. And so we have to look at this Cooper decision. It's a landmark decision. And we, you know, all praises are due to Allah forever and ever for the Honorable Elijah Muhammad because this is our teacher and even the lawyers that I'm bringing forth, of course, the great minds, you know, are, are due some, to the influence of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad in these teachings. So I just wanted to, to bring that in because a lot of times we talk about how black lawyers are social engineers, and so problem solving is, is very important. So on to the issue tonight, which, again, is wills and probate and estate planning and real estate. We're going to look at how intergenerational wealth uh, is passed down, and we're going to look, you know, we got to look at the background of how inheritance comes from when you look at white wealth. I got this from How White Folks Got So Rich. They talk about how intergenerational wealth between 1990 and 2020, $7 to $9 trillion will be inherited by baby boom generation, and that's those, you know, people born uh, following World War II. And so when we look at black people's inheritance, now, first of all, they want to say that 
the nine to seven to nine trillion that's inherited by these baby boomers, most of that accumulated by whites in real estate transactions conducted under strict apartheid and racial oppression. So that's how they got the money. That's how white folks got so rich because they passed this money down that they accumulated from slavery to their children. And you look at 43% of inheritance is transferred before the parent or grandparent dies. Half of all white families can give substantial head start assistance to their children. Uh, One-fifth, you know, of of black versus one-fifth of black families. And they talk about how one-fourth of white families receive inheritance at death of a parent of uh, approximately about $144,000 average versus, I think, the 120th of black uh, averaging about $42,000. And, that you know, white inheritance is about seven times larger than black people. So this is, again, one of the reasons why we've got a uh, a gap. We've got an income gap. But all praises are due again for the teachings of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad because with this knowledge he's given us, he's teaching us how to bridge the gap, separate, and to, um, you know, real heaven while we live. So I wanted to go ahead and open up the mic because we have two wonderful attorneys. As I said, tonight we're going to talk about wills and probate as well as real estate. The first person I want to introduce is our brother, Attorney Leonard G.P. Muhammad. And Brother Attorney Leonard Muhammad is a principal in the law firm of Muhammad and Associates. He's a graduate of Lincoln University in Missouri, okay, majoring in criminal justice with a minor in economics. He graduated um, towards a Master of Science degree at Bowie State, and he is a graduate of the Howard University School of Law. Um, with honors in the small business clinic. Wow. So Brother Leonard is admitted to practice in the District of Columbia. He has a license to practice Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, and he's admitted, you know, uh, to practice in the United States District Court for the District of Columbia, the United States District Court for the District of Maryland, and the United States Tax Court. See, this is really, really heavy, you all. Uh, the law firm of Muhammad and Associates is a regional law firm engaged in the private practice of law and is based in Washington, D.C. His areas of practice are probate law, EEOC, equal employment opportunity law, personal injury, business, real estate, campaign finance, civil litigation. And I just had to read that because that's so impressive. All of this is so very impressive. And this brother is one of our brothers in our nation. So Brother Attorney Muhammad, who has been in the private practice of law for 27 years, and he's also for 12 years been an adjunct professor, uh, associate professor at the University of the District of Columbia, he is, uh, and it's UDC, listen to this, prison college program at the former correctional institution in Lorton, Virginia. And so he's taught con- constitutional law, correctional law, criminal law, business law, paralegal studies. I mean, this is just a really wonderful resume, and I wanted to say that Brother Muhammad is a native of Washington, D.C., 
and he has been a registered member of the nation since 1990. So without further uh, ado, I'm definitely going to open up the mic for our brother, Brother Leonard. Assalamu alaikum. Oh, yes. Is that Brother Leonard? Uh, I've opened up the mic on 312, and I think I might be making um, – is that is that Brother Leonard? And I think this may be you, Sister Yolanda. Is, is this you, it Sister is, Yolanda? Three one two. Okay. Chicago. <laughs> oh yes, ma'am. So look, Sister Yolanda, let me go ahead and bring you on. And um, I want to go ahead by opening with your wonderful, wonderful, um, you know, curriculum detail. I want to give some information to our listeners about you. I thank you so much for taking your time to come on. So Sister Yolanda is um, a the great-granddaughter of slaves. She's a first generation of her family to live free of Mississippi sharecropping. Isn't that beautiful? You know, that's that history that she's sharing with us. She's born in Chicago, Illinois, and was raised in both Chicago's west, west and south sides. She joined the Nation of Islam in 1991 and is blessed to be the mother of three uh, Muhammad University graduates. Now, that talks about that dedication. She has served in various capacities within the nation. She's been in the secretary. She's final call newspapers. She's been in various, various, um, you know, service to our nation study group coordinator, legal helper. Sister Yolanda has a varied professional career that includes positions in association management, insurance, and education. She is a general solo practitioner at the law office of Yolanda Muhammad in Chicago, Illinois. Her specialty is problem solving, and she is a growing expert in the field of real estate. She is married, an active member of both Masmayam, the MGT, and GCC. So, assalamu alaikum, Sister Yolanda. How are you, ma'am? Well, alaikum salam. I'm doing fabulous. All praises due to Allah, Sister Pamela. And I wanted yes. to add this about when you ask for a resume, you know, uh, many of us as legal professionals, we have those resumes that say everything that we've done, you know, every place that we've been, and and sometimes it impresses our people. But to me, I really wanted to stress to the people that are listening is that I am just the same as everybody else probably on this call. I come from a black family with struggles, and sometimes we think lawyers are way more than everybody else. In fact, the whole society produces that way to say, oh, lawyers, ooh, lawyer. No, black people, we are strong, we are problem solvers. And so that's what I really wanted to share with the audience when I gave that uh, resume. Not that I don't have other things that I've done, but those are the most important things to me. Yes, ma'am, and that is so beautiful. And Sister Yolanda, I'm going to open up the 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 conversation, and I would ask that you tell us some things about your practice as an opening because I'm going to switch over and bring Brother Leonard into this conversation. So why don't you tell us about your law office and some of the services that you offer um, for, if you don't mind? 
And and please tell us how we can get in contact with you. Sure. Um, my it. law office is my law office is based here in Chicago, Illinois. Um, you can reach me at Yolanda Muhammad at Outlook dot com or seven seven three five six three zero seven four six. And I am a general practitioner in that I try my best to go at the law in terms of bring me your problem and I'll do my do my best with what I know to try to help you solve the problem. There are two main areas that I try to stay away from, which are criminal law, of course, um, tax law, so I'm glad I got Brother Leonard on our team. And I try to stay away from divorce and child custody because those are areas where we just can't win, no matter how we come out. But my practice is basically solving real estate problems. And a real estate problem could expand from um, trust in estates as a real estate problem in most instances or a personal property problem, uh, buying a house, building violations, you, you name it. We Tax issues as it relates to uh, property tax, I handle all of those issues. And for us as black people, we don't have the same issues as, as you know, some other nationalities or groups because we come into the situation poor and poor, and it takes all of our resources just to buy a house. It's always the largest part of our debt-to-income ratio, whereas for other people it's not. So we start out struggling, and usually to maintain and pass on wealth in that manner, it's always a struggle. So any lawyer that is going to help our people in that area has to be familiar with the struggle of black people, has to be in tune with that struggle, and has to be able to articulate it and spot it in ways that they probably are not teaching you in law school. And it's not the same as your white counterpart who had, you know, 40000 as a down payment that they got from their auntie or their grandma or their parents, or they were able to save it. So all those issues... PMI and all that that they go that we go in paying they don't even have those issues they probably don't even get a FHA loan and all these things that we have to go through so my practice really responds to those special needs that we have as poor people yes ma'am yes ma'am and you know what uh, sister Yolanda I thank you so much because uh, brother Leonard and we're still trying to get him joined into this call but you know some of the things we talked about with the inheritance and the wealth um, I know with the case with the Bruce Beach case right now that's that's one of the things we're seeing where that family got that money that that whole beach out there in Manhattan Beach returned um, because of eminent domain. Do you have any any thoughts on that? Any comments on that case? Well, I see that in 1924 the property was seized from the descendants, and now it's been turned over to them. And you know, if you count the years from 1924 to 2021, we're talking about almost 100 years of denial of that family of their rights. And so really, even though the property may have been turned over back, you know, turned back over to them, you think about what is the price of not having wealth for 100 years? through all the cycles of their families and generations of their families that have been without. And what could they have done with the property 
for 100 years. So no court case can really make them whole in that sense. And that goes back to the point that you're making about, you know, when you compare white families are getting an average of $140,000 when their people die. I don't know who gave the statistics to say say that we're getting 40000 or plus 40000 because most times in, in my practice, and I, I dare say most black practices when we're dealing with uh, probate in the state, our people are trying their best to inherit a debt, meaning Big Mama had a loan on the house. We live with Big Mama. Now all we want to do is probate so we can continue paying that debt. We're not getting property that's debt-free. We're trying to that's right. get the property so that Big Mama don't lose the 25 years that she paid into the house. So we want to take it over. And in most instances, we can't afford a probate attorney. So what ends up happening, and we don't buy, we don't get assumable mortgages where a family member can just step in the place of Big Mama. So what ends up happening is we have to refinance all over again to pay for the emotional ties that we have to property as opposed to getting the benefit of the payment. So we look back at the at the Bruce Beach case. Okay, now the property belongs to that family. Well, who's going to pay them for the 100 years of wealth that they lost? Right, right. Yeah, and that's a good point. Go ahead. Go ahead. Or they they don't even have that. The the land wasn't even used as they would have used the land. The land was used as the people, whoever took the property from them, developed it in the way that they wanted to develop it based on the common scheme of that California area. Well, who knows how they would have developed the land to benefit their family? So they, who can give them yes. back that benefit? Nobody. Yes, ma'am. That's right. And, and you're right because when you talk about, when we talk about intergenerational wealth and the racism that came from the inheritance that uh, white people got from this strict apartheid and racial oppression, you know, they, we talk about being in a situation deprived of our wealth, like with this Bruce Beach. You know, you can look at us, the average black person in America, and our grandfathers and grandmothers who worked these fields and had their businesses stolen or, or they pretty much worked and didn't earn fair wages, we've actually accumulated, you know, we've lost our wealth and accumulation. The inheritance has gone into to really negative proportion to what we should have earned. So you're absolutely right in that observation, uh, Sister Yolanda, and thank you so much for that. And also, um, audience, we do have Brother Leonard Muhammad on the line. Brother Leonard, are you with us? Yes, I I don't know what happened, Sister Pamela, but I'm finally on the line. Yes, sir, and thank you so much for joining us as we talk about Mm -hmm. the topic of wills and probate and what black families should know. And I know I've read your wonderful resume. I mean, this particular resume is so impressive and so you're so full of wisdom, so full of knowledge, so full of experience. So you, along with Sister Yolanda, she was actually kind of commenting and really taking the lead on the conversation for us. Um, mm-hmm. And as we talked about the Honorable Elijah Muhammad's contribution 
and the wisdom and knowledge he brought us really to get us out of some of this this servitude slavery condition that we had been found in um cuz especially when you look at the wealth of those who have inherited land and money and and property um mm-hmm. you know uh as as a result of racial apartheid and so in talking about wills and probate and how our families need to try to preserve what we do have and plan for better futures that's the conversation that you're coming into so <laughs> thank you so mm-hmm. much again for joining us so if you if you don't mind, can you tell us um, you know briefly about your practice in in DC? You you do a lot of of this type of work, is that correct? Yeah, about uh, about fifty percent of what I do is uh, in the area of uh, wills and probate. Um, I've been doing it say for the last I would say ten to twelve years, and I kind of fell into it, so to okay. speak. Um, it wasn't something that I had initially uh, set out to do, but it was just something that came along. And uh, given my background um, in economics as well as um, uh, undergraduate degree in criminal justice, um, for some reason or other, things kind of fit, so to speak. Uh, as well as it, it, with my my personality as well, you know, it's something that I um, like to do. Is something that I I get gratification out of. Um, it it's it can be very tedious work, you see, depending on uh, the issues or the client that you're dealing with. But I think one of the things that helped me as well in terms of adapting and and gravitating toward this is that um I was I was blessed I believe in that um my grandparents uh my my mother and family they're out of South Carolina and uh, my grandparents my especially my grandfather he was one of the fortunate black men who was able to um, put into practice those principles that uh, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad had given us, especially the one of do for self. Okay. And um, he he was uh, he wasn't a very well educated man by no means, but he understood, and uh, from what I was informed as I, when I got older, he knew how to levy, uh, take money. First of all, he was a, a very avid saver. He would save all his money that he could. And then he would take that money. And um, at this time, or at during his time, when uh, whites would not lend money to blacks, he was the bank, quote, unquote, so to speak, in the black community. Mm. And um, what he did was that uh, the the people that he loaned the money to, he had them collateralize uh, the loan with land uh, mm. they made home, they, that they owned at that time. 
And uh, from what I understand, when he died, which was, mm, I think, in the early 70s now, he had accumulated quite a bit of uh, real estate. Now, in in light of that, um, he was considered to be well-to-do in that county where he lived. But in, in, in response to what I think Sister uh, Yolanda stated, what, is that um, the land that he acquired, we no longer have. And one of the, the, the reasons for that is because um, my mother and my uncles and aunts, they all left mm. the, the South. And, you know, they, they grew up um, picking cotton and crops and things of that nature. And they didn't want to do that when they got older. So they were part of that exodus that came north, you see, that uh, the exodus of black people who came north. And... Um, you know, they settled into uh, this particular area here. And so I understand, you know, I mean, when I when I heard the, the teachings of Honorable Elijah Muhammad of, you know, the fact that we have to have land and then, you know, knowing what I knew, what occurred within my own family, um, it resonated with me, you know, um, to the point where I said, well, hey, look, if I get an opportunity to do so and purchase land again, uh, I would do that. And so how does that tie in with probate and wills and things of that no, nature? No, it's excellent. Yes, sir, very yeah. excellent. Excellent. As As I'm listening to you talk, um, you know, you talked about tedious work, and you talked yeah. about decisions that are being made. Now, my story is somewhat similar um, as as it relates to my grandfather, and so I can really relate to what you're saying because those decisions that they made to leave the South and leave behind what they had worked so hard for – you know, it really is what yeah. the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan, I've heard him say how so much pain was attached to that hard work. And That's even right. though they, you know, and so it, it, I think there was some kind of like, you know, they had painful memories that, that separated them from that land, as well as they were chased out by terroristic activities. The white people were chasing them out of the South. So I, I definitely hear what you're saying. Um, let me read this definition real quick, and, and we can go into the legal discussion as, lo as well as what you're saying because it's such a beautiful conversation. And if anyone wants to get into the host queue and ask any question or make a comment, please press the number one. And so we're talking about estate planning. And estate planning is the process of anticipating of and arranging during a person's life for the management and the disposal of that person's estate during the person's life, you know, and that's mm -hmm. in the event the person becomes incapacitated and, of course, planning for after death. So, you know, again, 
looking at what you said, the tediousness of the work and the need to make decisions and plan, um, what what is what what are some of the tips that we want to give people that will help them to to prepare for these type of, of planning? Um, mm-hmm. Like I said, keep important documents. That's that's one. That's my throw in. You know, keep mm-hmm. important documents. Um, Sister Yolanda, you you please feel free to add in um, with your wonderful wonderful insight to this conversation as you as you feel. Well, Sister Pamela, I, yeah. I wanted to I wanted to go back to even this definition of estate planning. Okay, there, yes, there lies mm-hmm. a divide right away because poor people can't do estate planning the same way some of our richer counterparts can do estate planning. For us, most mm-hmm. times, estate planning is how do I make a plan to move from my parents' house or apartment to my own apartment to maybe a condo to maybe a home to maybe some land and keep it without going into foreclosure. We don't even have the wherewithal or ability to start talking about pensions and what we're going to do after death when my day-to-day situation is minimum wage or less. So we have to begin to train, as the Honorable Elijah Muhammad taught us in Message to the Black Man, estate planning for us can't be a singular one family idea. It must be, as he said, and I want to say it's either six to eight minds. You get together six to eight of you of like-minded people and come up with a plan. So for us, as we see now what we're doing now that we're being laid off from these jobs as a result of COVID, black people are banding together and buying land. That's the only way we're going to survive. If we continue to think Mm -hmm. about estate plan as an individualized uh, idea, we're not going to make it. Because I know me by myself, I don't have enough money to guarantee the survival of my grandchildren. I don't have enough resources to even be thinking about it. I'm too busy thinking about my husband and I, we're thinking about the next three years, five years, not not 15, 20, 40 years into the plan. So even starting in your practice, when you start to consult our people about estate planning, you have to have a global unified idea or else we're going to end up back where we are where we think individualized. And that's different than the, that's different from our European or Caucasian counterpart. Yes, ma'am. You're absolutely right. Yes. Go ahead, Dr. I I, I kind of agree with Sister Yolanda, but then I, I kind of disagree. And this is where, you know, uh, the divide comes. First of all, I think that, and I, we, as we work, I'm talking about as individuals, sure, we, we work to um, – acquire, first of all, the, the, the things that I guess you could consider or call uh, to be the comforts of life, i.e. a home or a place to live, okay? Um, in the course of our working career, we earn so much money, um, depending on the, the, the occupation, okay? But 
my understanding of what the messenger was saying that in the course of our uh, earning, years of earning, sure, we're supposed to pool our money with our brothers and our sisters, but um, and and take that money, open a business, or buy land, or you know, a, a joint venture, form a joint venture that could possibly be economically beneficial to us. But when you're talking about estate planning, I mean, I think it, it is important that not only do we uh, try to achieve what the messenger has instructed us to do, okay, but then we all have to remember that we have family. And I think that if, if you or I am able to put together a plan whereby if in, in the event of our death, there is something that our immediate family, wife, child, husband, if there's something there, that we can acquire or inherit, okay, which would keep uh, us from having to, to start each generation from square one, then I think estate planning is definitely uh, paramount and is needed in the course of our lives. You know, I'm not disputing what the messenger said. I'm in agreement with that. But it's like my understanding of what the messenger said is you take a piece of what you earn and pool it with your brothers and your sisters. But you still got the responsibility of taking care of your your family. So I think that once you've uh, – you have to set up something in the event – uh, of your death, if you can, that would allow your family to continue to move forward, and perhaps they may take what you leave them and build on. Yeah, yeah. And, well, you know what? This is such an awesome conversation to me because it's a roundtable discussion of legal minds, and so everybody's given their perspective, and I think both, I like both of the ideals because for me, I'm looking at the planning, let's say that, that's why I started off by talking about the Honorable Elijah Muhammad and the wealth mm-hmm. of teaching that he gave us, because for some of us, saving, uh, the teaching might, the plan might be save a little money or don't live in, a, a you know, over your means. You know, for some of us, it may be uh, part of this inheritance part because I'm kind of like you, Sister Yolanda. You know, we don't have a lot of money that we've been leaving to our folks in terms of inheritance because they say between 1990 and 2020, $7 to $9 trillion was inherited by these baby boomers. And I'm looking at my own family, and, you know, there hasn't been much money inherited, if, if really any. And so, but 
what about the good practices? Um, what about, you know, the teachings, the tuition, the sending them to these schools, our children to, to the Muhammad University? I mean, I know we've been a little creative here, Brother, brother um, Leonard. We're, we're kind of mm-hmm. out the box. But these are things that will help us get out of this generational poverty um, that, you know, you've got a lot on the Internet talking about black people inheriting, um, we inherit bad things. You know, we inherit poverty. We inherit, you know, all of this negative racial apartheid that we were taught to live under. So I think it's fair to say that some of what we inherit may be um, wisdom. And that's fair, as well as pooling resources. And, and then I think mm-hmm. there's that part where they say that people giving, fam- some families give money while the people are alive in terms that's of true. investing in your children to try to help their lives be better. And I think for that's many true. of us who are first time sending our children to schools or making sure our children eat the proper food because that's an investment that's going to give them a better life, I think some of that mm-hmm. um, is fair game. I do. Yeah. Yes. Sister Pamela, I want to go to what you're saying about Muhammad University and education as part of a state yes, planning. Ma'am. And okay. when I was in college, we had a clear delineation that we called, you know, the talented 10, for lack of better terminology, mm-hmm. which represented those mm-hmm. folks in our community who were able to get to college and, you know, get get some degrees under their name with the hope of a professional career that paid more money, we could go to college with a a student loan and come out and owe on that student loan. And if I get a job and I can't afford to pay my loans and get an apartment, I could move in with Big Mama. I could move in with my parents and still make money and help my parents take care of their bill. That shift changed with, with this a group that they're, you know, that my children are in, where now you can't get a student loan unless your whole family sign off that they're going to pay. So your parents have mm. to sign off. So now you're indebting two to three generations to a loan that has no promise because we already know that there are no jobs for us, as taught to us by the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. So we're back to this principle of do for self, as Brother uh, Leonard is mentioning, but that do for self can't be just me. Why can't it be just me? Well, it's three, me, my sister, and brother, and my family. How would it help me if I did financial planning for just me and, and my family, but I got a niece and a nephew who's starving? We have to begin to think for the whole. And so when you look at that, from Muhammad University, my children were taught, no, get scholarships. We're not getting no loans. And we've seen, I'm, I'm going to use uh, a family member of mine as an example. They went to Muhammad University, which is the best school institution in, in the world, I know for sure, in the United States. And they went to Muhammad University, came out early, they went to school on scholarship. Right there is a state planning. Because instead of your future wealth going to pay back student loans, you're now getting your education that you want for your career building for free. It's not free, but you don't have to come out your pocket with any money. So right there, your estate planning begins. So that the day you start making money in your career, it's not going to pay pay back 
alone for the rest of your life. There, right there on that traject on that trajectory, our community on two different paths: the one that went for free, and the one that got to pay back hundreds of thousands of dollars of loans plus interest. That person's never going to be able to, to I won't say never, but the up climb road is higher. So the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, he, even when he gave us the independent school system where we can be taught to do for self, even in the education, don't, why are you going to get this that you can get for free? Just assert yourself a little bit. And we created, he created an environment where our children could be ourselves. He set us on that path already for wealth building. Then when we come mm-hmm. out and I got a job, I could buy a house instead of an apartment. I'm, I'm wealth building right now. So if I get right. a 15-year mortgage at 20, because our children come out of, out of high school at 15, they're coming out of college with master's degrees at 20 years old, 21 years old. Some mm-hmm. of them have PhDs. We're coming out with a 15-year mortgage because I ain't got nothing to do at 20. What I got to do? Mm. Not like your parent who got a PhD and they owe a quarter of a million, a half a million dollars. You got That's a chance. Right. So he gave us an excellent foundation for estate planning and wealth building if we look at it in that way. So I'm thankful that my children were at Muhammad University to be given those kind of ideas. Mm-hmm. You're right. You're right. Brother Leonard, and, and we want to get back to the, you know, the traditional, some of the probate um, tips that we want to give people, but she's mm-hmm. taken it right out of how white folks got so rich, the untold story mm-hmm. of American white supremacy that I would, you know, encourage those listeners who may not have had this book to make sure you read, because, you know, they talk in this area about inheritance, and they really go mm-hmm. hard on how this working hard and pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and all that, Mm -hmm. you know, jargon that has been, they could say it's spectacular deception because in Mm -hmm. reality, like they say, 43% of inheritance is transferred before the parent or grandparent dies. And then like Sister Yolanda was saying specifically, when you are getting these loans and you're putting yourself in debt, the harms to the credit rating you're putting off marriage, you're putting off the building of families versus these white families where their grandparents or different people are paying that for them. Um, so there is a formula, and, I, you know, I really like what you're, what you're saying about, about that, uh, Sister Yolanda, about how we've got to be creative to, to make sure that we can acquire and, and begin to build. Um, so that's just beautiful. Uh, brother, mm-hmm. brother Leonard, did you want to to put you know add to the conversation because you are a you know twenty seven years you've been doing this you do probate you people come to you who do have some some accumulated uh, potential property and so some of the stuff about um, planning ahead and having those conversations I know you you and I talked about about how important that might be in the black family, that we actually sit down and, and talk about certain things to plan before death or the crisis occurs. Yes, and yes, so. absolutely. And, and before I uh, comment on that, mm-hmm. what 
Sister Yolanda triggered was the um, the book uh, Black Label White Wealth. Mm. Um, I'm trying to think of the author's name. Claude Claude Anderson. Is that right? Is, yes, is that who mm-hmm. wrote it? Yeah. Oh, yes, yeah. 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 Uh, he, that, I thought that was a, a very good book in terms of uh, informing uh, the reader of exactly how this wealth uh, was accumulated by the whites, the Europeans that came to this country. And also, I think in there, there is uh, a chapter or two, which, you know, kind of explain or, yeah, bring out the teaching or the principle that the messenger uh, gave us with respect to what we needed to do as a people. He kind of deals with the minutiae, the, you know, the hands-on issues and, and, and projects and things that we have to do in terms of what what we're doing with our money, how we're supposed to do it, and so forth. But that I just wanted to say that. Yeah, that's a great book. He he talks about, especially in the areas that we are the product, like he talks about, you know, entertainment and, and, you know, just areas that we have control over, and we should make sure that we maximize the economic uh, income from those things by pooling our resources and building businesses which yes. you know this this is excellent that this conversation is going this way because mm-hmm. we got to start somewhere sister Yolanda we got to start somewhere right <laughs> that's right this yeah. absolutely absolutely yeah, yeah. so uh, brother L- Leonard can you talk to us about um some of the probate uh related issues that that again you think um the conversations that we need to be having um you know, regarding family conflicts, yeah. or, or just any other things mm-hmm. that you see that um, eat up assets. Because uh-huh. people are coming to these lawyers, spending all this money, yeah. and it's spending way too much money. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it, that can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, from my experience, what I've, I've seen a little bit, I think, of everything, so to speak, uh by by that I mean I've seen um families well first of all not, not the family but it's usually the breadwinner okay coming to the office with the intent of uh making certain that if anything happens to them if they die then their family will uh be able to inherit the accumulated asset that uh, the breadwinner has been able to put together. In, in that regard, you know, they often, one thing that's common is that, or one principle, I should say, that, that, that they tend to um, repeat over and over again. And, and most of my clients are black. I've done a few uh, wills for white clients, but the majority of them are black. And we tend to have the same um, uh, objective and goal, and that goal is to try to to do something 
that would, again, like I stated earlier, that could be used to build with, build wealth with. Um, and 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 they want to want to be remembered, you know, as having uh, been somebody who cared for the family, tried to look out for the family, and 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 do something that would again give them an economic foothold or at least the start of one. So basically, you know. The, the, it's usually the breadwinner. They they want to wheel. They want to talk about. Most of the time, you have to sit and just let the client talk because they you know they want to give you the history of their lives and oftentimes the ups and the downs that they want to share with you. And but there is a common denominator. It's always I want to make certain that my child or my my children don't have to go through the same experience that I had to to endure. Uh, so I'm, I want to leave them something, you see, so they can say, Daddy tried, you see. And so um, we get into wills and you, you I, I find myself a lot of times like I stated, just listening. And then, you know, um, that that's one group of, of clients. You have another group of clients that um, I guess it, their objective, again, is the same. They want to leave something for the family. But the family dynamics is uh, is a little different. And by that, what I'm saying is, you know, it, this may be a situation, one example of this would be a, what is I call a blended family. Uh, that family being the uh, original parents may have divorced and then remarried. And when you remarry, you you marry uh, your spouse have or may have children from a previous relationship. So you got a blended family there, you know. Yeah. And so that uh, <laughs> that creates a whole new uh, dynamic that uh, you have to, 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 to work through and help the parents work through. Because if, if, say for instance, there is no problem if the, if the, the, the parents... Brother Leonard, if somebody... I, I can't... Yeah. Uh, the phone is um, giving a little static... Yeah, I, I can hear it. Yes, yeah. Well, the, yeah, with the blended family, it, there's not a there's no problem if the, the two parents are in accord and, and agree. You see, yes, but sir. There is a disagreement. Okay. Ah. Yeah. 
That's that's awful. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. All right. I we hear you now, Brother Leonard. Sister Yolanda, okay. I think it may be your phone too, so you may wanna um go ahead and Yes, go ahead, yes. Brother Leonard. Yeah. Uh but if there is a disagreement either between the parents or or members of the blended family. Now that is a whole nother what I what I call a whole nother other because yeah. that raises a lot of problems when it comes down to uh estate planning, <laughs> making a will, you see. Okay. Uh even to the, even getting along with each other, you see. Uh, so, yes, it's very important. Yes, sir. And, and you know what? We're going to take, we have a caller, actually, and uh, those mm-hmm. are excellent points you're making. We're going to come back to it and take a comment from, we have Sister Ava on the line. Let me open up her mic. Mhm. Assalamu alaikum, Sister Ava. Well, alaikum salam, Sister Pamela. I, I first wanted to uh, thank Brother Attorney Leonard Muhammad and Sister Attorney Yolanda Muhammad and say to all of you, I, I'm so edified just in this short time. And we really need to uh, make sure we, uh, this program, it is recorded. And in addition to the live audience, we have to get this out um, because I, like you, um, I, I agree with, with both both of our, our attorneys, and, and these are brilliant people giving of their time and service, and I, it, it's just such a blessing for us, and it's a, a demonstration of the process of separation that's taking place. You know, because, you know, we have featured programs monthly on all of the land acquisition that's going on. But what the lawyers are dealing with is is there's a mental state of mind that that goes along with the legalities. Because the separation process has a lot of legalities, and I know we're running out of time. But I I wanted to say I I agree so much with Brother Leonard's point about individual development. And, you know, because a, a self-improvement is the basis for community development. And I think when we're thinking like that, we may, we may not have anything in the moment but the job, and we see that's unraveling now. But if, if, you're, mm-hmm. if you know you have a desire to leave something to someone, it actually affects your ability to grow. Uh, your resources. But that's all I want to say. Thank you all uh, so much for what you're doing. From Lincoln. Wow, Lincoln. Wow. All places do a lot. Thank you, Sister Ava, for calling in. Really appreciate it. Yes, sir. Um, and anyone else who would like to get into the host queue, please press the number one if you have a comment or a question for our attorneys. Um, so, Brother Leonard, I know you were making some excellent points. And one of the things I, I want to say is that um, having a will is so important because so many times we are not, you know, maybe people aren't leaving wills, and that's, that does that simplify the process 
in your opinion, does that simplify the process when you have a, you know, small wheel or elaborate wheel? Just depends. What do you think, Brother Leonard or Sister Yolanda? Go ahead, Brother Leonard. No, I was just going to just say that in terms of determining uh, the distribution of the uh, estate, yes, having a will definitely simplifies the process. Um, You don't have to guess about who's going to get what or how much they're going to receive. You see, if you've got a will, then the decedent's in, intention, what they wanted, and who they wanted to give their properties to, that information is in is stated in the will. So yes, it takes away the guesswork. It 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 it, it clarifies uh, again how much is given, how much is received by the heirs or the beneficiaries if it's a, a trust that it, the money is, or the assets are coming from. Sister Yolanda, you were going to speak. Uh, what, yes, one of the things, uh, a will can make the process easier, but it can also complicate the process depending on how, much, how many assets your family will have after you pass on. So you could have a will, but they could have no money to hire a probate attorney. So sometimes in estate planning, and and I'm sure Brother Leonard does this as well, you have to assess when a person comes to you and says, hey, now that I bought this house, I got a 30-year mortgage, I want to leave it to my children. You have to Mm -hmm. think about and have a conversation with your client, what does that mean? And so sometimes I start my clients out with a plan. I ask them, do you think your family will have the money to pay a probate attorney, or do you think that they won't have the money? And that's an honest thinking question. If they don't have the money, then we sort of go along the line of, okay, put the property in a trust that has a beneficiary if you can't afford the will. Mm -hmm. Uh, Put a beneficiary Mm -hmm. on all of your bank accounts. That way right. you know mm-hmm. I had 10000 in the bank and I want 5000 to go to Lulu. I want another five mm-hmm. to go to Man Man so that you already know a lawyer doesn't have to step in at that point, but you've already made a decision on where that, mm-hmm. that money should go. If you put your property okay. in a trust, that's another beneficiary mm-hmm. arrangement where no will or anything has to go to probate. But, again, my, my experience sometimes is even though the parents are working or the family member that comes to the office is working and earning, they're not considering their family's ability to pay off the debt. So I got a house mm-hmm. that I own, I have a 30-year mortgage on, and I'm anticipating mm-hmm. that I'm going to live 30 years and pay it off. But what happens if you pay 20 years into the mortgage or hard-earned money and then you pass away and you left the house to your children, but they have no ability to take care of it. So all of those things have to be discussed when you're talking about, you know, estate planning. Illinois has a tool called a transfer on death instrument. And I love that tool. Mm-hmm. It, it actually is not a new tool, but it's new to us. And what it does is you sign up so that the moment the person passes away, 
that property transfers over to whoever you have deeded it to. That's important because sometimes mm. our people pass away and they don't have assumable mortgages. Anybody listening, if you're getting a new mortgage, try to get an assumable mortgage where your family member can step in and take over from the payments that you left off. Otherwise, you're probably looking mm-hmm. at your family having to use their credit to refinance and start all over again. And, again, it depends. Mm-hmm. I got this house, and I'm leaving it to people, but do they have the resources to take care of it? Can they pay the taxes? Can they pay the bills? Mm-hmm. Can they pay the landscaping? And we're back to, you know, mm-hmm. the first question that you asked us to Pamela about the people with um, – they just got this new beachfront property. Yeah, it might mm-hmm. give them millions, oh, right. but it's going to take them mil- it's going to take them millions to take care of it. So in essence, they really didn't get anything. So you want to mm. really have a serious conversation. Am I leaving wealth, or am I leaving a continuation of debt? Because those two things are not the same. Mm. And mm-hmm. so you have to have you have to have that kind of conversation. And I'm, I'm, Sister Ava is correct. It does change your mindset when you have the ability and the desire to leave something to somebody. Now you're thinking about somebody other than yourself and your own situation and circumstances. You're thinking into the future. My job as an attorney, mm-hmm. and particularly as an attorney with the teachings of the Most Honorable Elijah Muhammad, is to guide you into a realistic conversation of what you're saying. Right. Maybe you maybe you want to buy an insurance product that will pay the house off at your death so that you're not leaving mm-hmm. your family a continuation of slavery. When my parents mm-hmm. were uh, coming up, buying a house meant equity. You could easily take a loan mm-hmm. against a house if somebody got in trouble, but not today. Yeah. Not today mm-hmm. because you bought the house. It doesn't have any equity. You bought it at 50 to 60% of your debt-to-income ratio. So really a house is just a bigger living situation, in some instances, not all, a bigger living situation with a debt. So when my clients come and say, hey, I got this new fabulous house that I just paid a couple hundred thousand for, and I want to leave it to my children, I give a hand clap of mm-hmm. applause, and then I say, Okay, now what do you want to leave to your children? A house paid off mm-hmm. or the ability to pay the debt? Because those are, those are key, key issues. Yes, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. yes sir. Brother Leonard, did you want to um, make a comment on that as well? Because I really want to say um, I just want to, you know, thank the national spokesperson for the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan, uh, Sister Dr. Ava Muhammad for calling in and making the comment to us. We we have to make note of that, and that's very special. Um, she is an attorney as well, so thank you again, mm-hmm. Sister Ava, brother brother Leonard. Um, what are your thoughts? Because you know, one of my things, I think um, technicality, the and that is so beautiful, Sister Yolanda. Some of the things you're you're giving our audience, um, and I hope if there's any need to to get in touch with you or are you brother Leonard as well you're in DC but you may want to give your information on how you could be in you know contacted because i think mm-hmm. the the fights that sometimes will break up our families over some of this very small asset um i think estate planning is a good area that we're we're trying to get our people to make it through like 
the, the bickering, um, you know, have a smooth plan so you all can preserve what's more important, which is, which is the bloodline continuing. Um, and, and as we're kind of coming to the end, let me throw this, this area out here as well, and that's the area of power of attorney and uh, guardianships. And I think they're so important because with the rise of an aging society and our elders um, needing these documents that can help them when if they become incapacitated, they, they talk about here how um, catastrophic things happen and sometimes people are being exploited. And so you need to make sure that you can help your, your loved one prior to them not being able to speak for themselves. And we're even seeing this with COVID, but some of the medical power of attorneys that people are needing to make sure that they have the ability to speak for their loved ones. So did you all want to give any insight onto those type of tools in the estate planning uh, scheme of things as well and how important um, they are or what to look out for with those mm-hmm. type of instruments? Mm-hmm. Well, the, the the power of attorney instrument, the or the instrument known as the power of attorney. Um, I think. Well, let me say this: the uh, document, the information in that document, it pretty much can determine who is going to handle a person's affairs, whether they're medical, business, uh, and the like, should they become incapacitated or unable to uh, do it themselves. But you got to remember that the power of attorney is only valid while the individual is alive. Once the the maker of the power of attorney dies, then it's no longer valid, and it goes, you know, you have to move into probate from there. Mm-hmm. But um, when you do a power of attorney, that what what one of the things that I suggest my clients, I tell them, look, for bank accounts, you make it a uh, bank account, whereas it would be in the name of the, the owner, but also whoever's going to have power of attorney over your affair, you mm-hmm. see. Uh, for uh, other instruments like uh, medical, what do you call it, a, a medical power of attorney as well. Yes, you see, and you think that a person is incapacitated and can't speak for themselves. Mm-hmm. You have to designate and identify someone who you trust and will right. probably and have your best interest at heart to, you know, speak for you. And, you know, those those only two of the documents that I can think of right now. I'm, I'm yeah, kind of tired of Yes, sir. No, we understand. We appreciate that. The the power, but the power of attorney again is is it, it's limited in that it's only effective while the individual is alive. You see, 
Mm-hmm. No, and and that's so beautiful, uh, brother Leonard. You you after working all day and working very hard, you told me that you would give us some of your time, and so we really really appreciate your words. Um, and, you know, because I think what people need to understand is that the stability and the uh, you know, if you hit a crisis you still want to kind of carry on business as, as usual for your loved one in the best manner possible. It's not just about making sure they have food. You know, their bills may have to be paid, and, you know, mm-hmm. certain questions have to be asked. And so you don't want to be stuck where you can't give them the comfort that they're accustomed to um, and, and just the ability to um, feel, you know, special and so that that's what I've seen power of attorneys used sometimes for um, to keep people in the situation that they're accustomed to living in um, because these this elder law section is really really growing um, in our in our mm-hmm. in our community. So you know, and and brother Leonard, you and I talked about making sure that the child uh, or your family member, and that's. So interesting because we talk about conflict resolution, we talk about dispute resolution, uh, but this is an area where we really do have to mitigate it as well. And so, as a parent, you may want to choose a person who, like Brother Leonard said, you can trust and you kind of know their temperament, or you you feel like they um, are the one who's going to keep the papers together, or you know, it's not personal. You love all your children, many of your family members, but you know, make wise decisions um, so everybody can benefit from those decisions. Sister Pamela, mm-hmm. one of the things I wanted to uh, also discuss as you talk about COVID, when yes, we ma'am. have right some ahead. some wealth or some assets and we, we do need that power of attorney, we do need that guardianship because if your loved ones get sick and have to go into any kind of nursing home and begin to use Medicaid benefits, you now make yourself vulnerable to the state coming in and taking all of your assets to pay off those mm-hmm. bills. So you definitely want to be able to have guardianships in place and power of attorney documents in place while your loved ones can make good decisions for themselves because once they become uh, – you know, and um, not able to speak for themselves, debilitated, Alzheimer's, mm-hmm. any medical diagnosis of dementia, none of those documents can be executed without a court hearing. And, again, we're talking about the um, the disenfranchised in our community or the poor segment of our community that may not have access to legal resources like others. They can't afford to go into court and do a guardianship or they go to legal aid and do a guardianship, have no clue if legal aid is representing their best interests at heart. And I've seen in some instances where our people have went to probate, uh, pro bono attorneys who do services for free and end up 10 years later, that same attorney owns their property. And they don't know how they got Mm. tricked up. So it's best to always try to make those decisions. I really push those 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 tools, power of attorney and guardianship. Now, while you can make the decision, mm-hmm. let's talk about who's going to mm-hmm. be in charge if something happens to you, and particularly in this COVID right. environment where it hits you one day mm-hmm. and the next day you're, you're mm-hmm. on a respirator and can't talk. 
who makes a decision mm-hmm. then? So I, mm-hmm. I encourage our family to do that because sometimes a decision you make while you're on your last breath is a better decision to make than when you have no breath. It's easier to make a good decision mm-hmm. now than, say, a will mm-hmm. or that family argument because that family feud can be mm-hmm. very vicious. Yes, indeed. Or, you know, or like uh, Brother Leonard said, his family walked away from land. My my great-grandparents bought a plot of land that may be big as some people's living room, and then their children had a total of 39 children. To mm. share that one plot mm-hmm. of land, they can't come to any kind of agreement on what to do with it. So now we haven't mm-hmm. given any directive. We had the idea to leave it to somebody, but we didn't give any directive on what to do. So the land just sits mm-hmm. there not being used. So I, I'm a full, full, full advocate of having these discussions with your family and putting the tools in place to make the decisions while you have all your health and strength as opposed to going to a courthouse and letting somebody who knows nothing about you or your family make a decision for you that may not be in your best interest. That is is so important. Yeah, and we're we're down to our last um, minutes of this. We're down to about 10 minutes on our program, so we'll start closing out. But I do think uh, that's so important what Sister Yolanda said because, you know, when you have your full capacity to make these decisions, you can. But in mm-hmm. these courthouses, once again, the word ad litem attorneys come up. And we talk mm-hmm. about ad litems in the Children Protective Services area where someone is appointed that will represent the interests um, of the child against the mm-hmm. parents sometimes. Well, this is kind of the same thing that happens in elder law. You may get some person inserted between your loved one and your family, and that person's going to get paid. That person's going to kind of communicate to the judge and, you know, just really um, direct something mm-hmm. that may not be in the same way your loved one would like it or your family is liking it. So I, I just wanted to um, – and a lot of times our people don't know what goes on in these courtrooms that we're we're so <laughs> – you know, used to seeing some of these rules. So, um, Brother Leonard, I know one of the things you said is greed. Uh, we talked when you and I were talking. You said people need to watch out for patients and not be greedy. On, um, you know, and so I think that's something that we can, you know, just put out there. Um, dispute resolution, I think, is so important um, in continuing yeah. family ties, but. What what do you 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 have anything you want to add? You mentioned the TV lawyers and how people get this idea that uh, it's so dramatic and uh, uh, drives some of this greed perception or yeah. Bad well, you know, yeah. Well, Sister Pamela, when, when I uh, initially mentioned the uh, the issue of greed, mm-hmm. um, I, I have to go back and use my own family as an example. Okay. Um, my, my parents, they divorced and uh, got remarried. Okay. And uh, the, the new spouse that each of them uh, married uh, had family, had children of their own. 
And so um, I remember this, this, uh, this was about 19, yeah, after Million Man March, a couple years or so. But anyway, uh, I remember when um, my mother passed, okay, she passed before her second husband. And before she died, she was trying to get the children of her second husband to get involved with the affairs that the two of them, you know, uh, their their business affairs, their money and things of that nature. And um, my sister, I have a sister, she was – looking out for the interests of my mother. So my mother was was telling her husband's family or trying to get a member to come in and work with all of them, you know, but they didn't have her. And Mm -hmm. after, after, after my mother died, um, the, the estate, well, fortunately, one thing they did do, they had uh, wills. My mother and her had wills. But the uh, children did not know this. And actually, one of them, uh, when he found out about will, he tried to challenge it. And over, it was all about, he was a his his objective was to try to make certain that the majority of the estate that his father had an interest in would go to him and his side of the family. Okay. But anyway, they were they were living in a, a community property state or, or a state that recognizes community property. You see, and um, so what that meant is that. Uh, the property between the two spouses was equally shared. So the um, sibling, the the son, he, by challenging the will, he challenged the wills because they had what they call the two, the, the wills were Thinking of trying to think of the term for it, but it'll come to. Me. But okay. anyway, it, it 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 resulted in litigation that went on for two three years. Wow. Okay. Yes, sir. And the bottom line was, in the end, the court ruled in favor of my family. You see, because mm-hmm. of the fact that there was a will and their right. intent the intentions and the uh of each of the uh Test parties. Yes. Testators, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, was already stated but and it had been determined. But uh, to get to the point I was talking it was all about greed. That's mm-hmm. that's what it boiled down to. You had one individual who thought that 
his side of the family should get more of the property. And regardless, you know, of, of whether they were entitled to it or not. And it, yes. it created a mess. It was a mess. Yes. We, uh, for three years, we were in and out of court. You yes, see. sir. Yes, sir. So, and, and so that hopefully some of what we talked about tonight, especially the importance of a will, the written instructions from the mm-hmm. testators, that was so helpful in that situation because we don't want to lose what our families have accumulated and what black people are working so hard and, and wisely accumulating and, and building and sending our children to these schools so they can come out and build nations, and as Sister Ava said, we can separate and build our own communities. And so we'll we'll definitely need lawyers like yourselves who are helping us to do estate planning and, and helping us to make decisions and come up with these roadmaps. And so I think that's what we talked about tonight. And so we're down to five minutes um, and I and I just want to thank you all once again for coming on the show. And if you want to offer any closing remarks or statements on, um, you know, how how again what black families should know about wills and and probate. And Sister Yolanda, did you want to add anything to the conversation? You've done such a wonderful job and have given us so much information tonight. Yeah. Yes, ma'am, because as we yes, I tried to un- I tried to unmute myself, but um I have a if I have some presentations that I did a couple months ago that go into detail about um you know, estate planning with nothing, um, some of the things that I talked about, how to put beneficiaries. And so if anybody is interested in getting a copy of those uh presentations, they're free. I just did them as because some of the uh, people in our community asked, Yolanda, can you help us with mm-hmm. this? Because so many of our family members are passing away, and we don't know what to do. So if you would like, mm-hmm. you can email me at Yolanda Muhammad. That's Y-O-L-A-N-D-A-M-U-H-A-M-M-A-D at Outlook.com. And I'll send you a copy of the uh, presentation and the materials, you know, that I put together. This is a, such a great program, and I thank you for inviting me. It really is important oh, for us to do some, some planning, and we're taught that we write our history in advance, and that's done simply by mm. making a plan and making it, you mm-hmm. know, come into um, reality. We do have to do mm-hmm. planning, but you, we have to be realistic about the planning. Sister Yolanda, would you repeat that uh, email address again, please? Sure, it's Yolanda, Y-O-L-A-N-D-A-M-U-H-A-M-M-A-D at Outlook.com, Yolanda Muhammad at Outlook.com. Yeah, and that's, okay. that's an uh, email address from my office, and we can send out that presentation. We did it on Zoom, and I've had several requests to do, you know, some other presentations. But, again, I think one of the points you didn't mention, which we'll do on another call, Picking a great lawyer that understands. Mm, it sounds mm. like Brother Leonard, he understands because he knows what he told you where he came from. His parents picked cotton, mm. and they understand how you gain wealth and how you lose it real quick just by making the wrong decision. If you have that kind of lawyer mm. on your team, 
that that knows the history of black people and where we come from, that's an excellent start. And mm-hmm. if you can find well, someone who is conscious, that's a better start. <laughs> absolutely. Beautiful. Absolutely. Yes. Yes, yeah. Brother Leonard. So we're down to a minute. Did you want to uh, just give a closing remark? I mean, we're down to like a minute, so I can well, close out. Mm-hmm. I, I really don't have anything else that I can add. I mean, okay. when, we, yes, when you're sir. talking about when you're talking about estate planning and law and wills and powers of attorney, you can go on and on and on and on. And okay. uh, I think that we we. we Recovered, you know, a good portion of it, but no, I'm I'm going to reserve, you know. Yes, sir. Well, thank you so much. And I want to Mm -hmm. go ahead and close out. I want to thank you all for listening to A Time for Justice. And I would say to hear previous shows, you can log on to the Elevated Places, uh, A Time for Justice. I want to remind everyone to listen to. Our, the Elevated Places, Ask Dr. Ava, that's on Thursday at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. I want to thank the Elevated Places team. I want to thank my uh, helpers, Samaya Muhammad. I want to thank Sister Donna, Brother Terrence, Sister Rona, and, of course, Sister Dr. Ava Muhammad. And I want to thank you all, the listeners, for listening and tuning in to the show. And please tune in next week for more informative discussions. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam.